is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. We're back again in the midst of everything that is happening. We are still recording podcasts, and we won't stop until we can't access the Internet. So you will be getting content, whether it be over the phone, whether it be me uh, you know, interviewing Matt over the phone or in person. We'll still get you as much as we can. And obviously with me today is the pastor of Belcroft Bible Church. His name is Matt White. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, buddy, because the truth always talks. The truth don't talk. It never stops. Never stops. So we can't stop. You can't stop. Or we'll be stop. misrepresenting the truth. Yep. Yep, that's what it is. And the truth in scripture is what we're going to talk about today because uh, not just Isn't now. that what we talk about every day? Well, yeah, <laughs> but specifically, uh, just kidding. But specifically, there are scriptures Uh-oh. that have been used uh, inappropriately, I would say. That's the best way to say it. Uh, they've been taken out of context One a or lot. Two. Uh, no, I got a list of them. It's a, it's, 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 it's almost like a CVS receipt of, of scriptures <laughs> <laughs> that have been taken out of context. So, excuse me, here we go. I'm just going to start throwing them at you. And so let me ask you this question. Uh, wait a minute. This... No, no, I, I have to, I have to. So buddy, tell us what happens when you take a passage out of context or a verse or a phrase or a scripture passage. What happens when you take it out of context? What happens when you take scripture out of context? Well, a couple of things happen, and I'll just give you just one. Yeah, I was just thinking of one word. In one word, what's that? Disaster. Disaster is a great is a great <laughs> word. I, you know, deception. My, deception is good. Yeah. Delusion. How many other D's you want, man? <laughs> <laughs> he's not a pastor at all. <laughs> this is a whole, this, he's writing a sermon right now. That's what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, uh, yeah. So yes, deception, delusion, uh, disaster, was, disaster was the other one. Yeah. Um, uh, disappointment, yeah, disappointment, discouragement, um, discouragement, just, just keep, just keep coming. Yeah. Just keep coming. Let's do sub points now. <laughs> Let's do sub points now. Disaster is is the first point, and it's yeah. like you know, you, you begin to believe what you hear other people say besides the word of God. Yeah. Is that is that a, is that a sub point right there? Yeah, yeah. You be, you begin to you begin to believe error as if it's truth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, see how he packages it up real, real tight. <laughs> He's not a pastor at all. Yeah. Look at that. Anyway, sorry, I just no. That's good. It's a serious issue. It is. It's definitely a serious issue. And um, here's the funny part about it, though. The, the the other side to it, it has been there have been scriptures that have been taken out of context for so long. Yeah. That people don't even they use it in their everyday language yeah. and don't know what the actual scripture is talking about totally and here's the best one that i've heard and I, and i heard someone that was very uh i would i would assume that would be and and other people would say the same thing i really felt that he you know he is a a very godly uh preacher but he yeah. used it completely in, in out of context and this was the scripture and you could probably finish the sentence if i started saying this where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And this was used because of the coronavirus that's happening right now. It's like, well, you know, you got Somebody, two or three people. Really? Yeah, you got two or three people are gathered. There I am. That was that was how it was used. Oh, that's totally sad. And I was like, that is that's not what it is. So you know, and 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 this was this is uh, Matthew, Matthew eighteen. 18. Yep. 
Yeah. So Matthew 18 is actually where it is. And I said, I got to ask Matt about this because yep. this was this was definitely something someone brought up once in our Sunday school class. And uh, they Matthew said, yeah, 18, with two 20. or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. And you corrected yeah. them and said, uh, well, that's yeah. talking about something different. Yeah. So, so um, again, context is king. Context controls definitions. Mm-hmm. That's that's a part of of this that a lot of people don't uh, realize. Everybody wants to allow lexicons, which is just a fancy word for dictionaries, to mm-hmm. control definitions. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitions change based upon how the author uses words. Right? We do that all the time. We'll uh, use a, a word in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's really scary about false teaching. They'll use the same words that that true teaching will use, but they'll have a totally different definition for it. Roman Catholicism is, is is really big on that. They'll use the term grace or or mercy or whatever, and they're talking about something way different, right? And they don't even have that. They don't even have an understanding of biblical grace, but they use the term grace a lot. And so, so again, this is where context, even in in how you speak and how somebody else is speaking. That's why if you're dealing with in conversation with somebody and they're using words, it's always best to ask them, "Can you define that for me?" Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes arguments, uh, mis mis uh, misconstrued ideas, or un- unrealistic expectations are driven by by uh, misunderstandings with terms. Right. And so context, what we're talking about is just that: defining our terms based upon the 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 the. Uh, the passage context, whether it's cultural, whether it's theological, whether it's canonical, whether it's exegetical, that just means taking the passage as it was written to the original audience, who it was written by, who it was written to, when it was written in its theological context. Was this Old Testament, New Testament? Is this before Christ, after Christ? All of those truths and many more even grammatical context, what mm-hmm. is the words that are being used, the syntax, how are the words being used, all of those go into rightfully understanding what is being said. Now, now some people might be saying, well, man, that's, that's crazy. Like, how do you do that? No, you do it. You do it almost naturally once you know how to do it. Just like we do it when I'm listening to Fox News, I don't listen to it the same way I listen to the, to the Truth Talks podcast. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's two different contexts. Yeah. If I pick up a paper like I used to, we don't do that anymore, but if I pull up something on the internet and it's poetry, well, I read that immediately with a cadence and, a, and, and the way I even read it by my eyes and my voice, I do it differently than when I'm reading a novel. Right, because mm-hmm. it's a different context. So yeah. you just do that naturally. Mm-hmm. Yet when it comes to the Bible, we don't do that. Yeah, we just pull stuff out. Like I would never go to um, Edgar Allan Poe, right, poet from Baltimore. I would mm-hmm. never go to a middle of one of his uh, usually pretty uh, uh, deathly, deathly driven yeah. poems. Mm-hmm. I, I would never go to the middle of that. Pull out a phrase. And then, then make it say whatever I want to say. Mm-hmm. I would have to read the whole poem to get an idea. What's he meaning by this? Mm-hmm. People will do that ad nauseum for poetry, but they'll never do it with the Bible. They right. just pull out a phrase and say, oh, yeah, this is what this means. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, did you read the whole chapter? Did you read the whole book? Did you read the whole Bible? Because if you didn't, you really don't understand what's going on there. Yeah. That's what we're talking about, context. I was trying to explain this to a friend of mine, and I said, uh, hey, uh, I heard you went to bed last night. He's like, huh? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I heard you wet the bed last night. He's like, no. I was like, see, 
the context is important. You were one years old yeah. and you wet the bed. Yeah. If that's the case, then yeah, okay, you're one years old and yeah. you know, it's like, okay, I wet the bed. Yeah. But not as a, you know, forty something year old man. Yeah. Context is king. Absolutely. Context is, is exactly what is important. Absolutely. And here in this text, uh Matthew eighteen, so, um, you know, the 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 scripture so let me read it first. Go, go for it. Uh eighteen, eighteen. Truly I say to you, Oh, I'm sorry. Let me read 20. Uh, then we'll go back to uh, <laughs> to 18. 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So uh, what's the context here? So uh, the context, in short, right, is dealing with uh, church discipline. Okay? So that passage is is dealing with uh, church discipline, and in the larger context, he's dealing with confrontation. Mm-hmm. So the whole of Matthew 18, if you go all the way back to Ma- the beginning of Matthew 18, really what's it about? He's dealing with confrontation among the disciples, hmm. right? Who's the greatest in the mm-hmm. in the kingdom? And they're, they're, and Jesus has to confront them because of their pride. Mm-hmm. And then it goes right into confrontation with temp- temptations to sin and all of that. And how do you confront sin? You take it serious, mm-hmm. right? And then he goes into the parable of the lost sheep, which is all about what? Going after one who has left the fold, right. confronting them, but doing it compassionately. That's mm-hmm. that person who's left is the one who was once part of the fold and they're and they're they're running away and the Lord's going after them mm-hmm. and it's showing then this sets the context, right? So mm-hmm. Matt so Matthew eighteen has to be read in light of Matthew ten, meaning Matthew eighteen twenty has to be read in light of Matthew eighteen ten verses through 14 where it talks about the father in heaven does not want one of these little ones to perish and he's compassionately going after them right that sets up the tone for then when you get to matthew 15 and you're dealing with sins within the church and how do you deal with it well you Mm -hmm. deal with it compassionately like the father goes after the lost sheep so you're seeing how context just even drives the emotional tone Mm -hmm. of the passage and brings out a sense of long suffering and kindness Mm -hmm. and graciousness Mm -hmm. because it's driven by what god does with the lost sheep right and so and so when you get to the uh, passage uh, matthew 18 15 to 20 which really is all to be understood as dealing with church discipline which is exactly what he says and your brother sins against you this is what you do right so if you've got going all the way back to matthew the beginning of matthew 18 where they're sinning against one another saying one's greater than the other mm-hmm. and now jesus is helping them understand listen this is how you this is how you work this out mm-hmm. if your brother sins against you then go and confront him compassionately graciously just just go after him like mm-hmm. i went after the lost sheep mm-hmm. so you can see go after him right right don't wait for him to come to you mm-hmm. jesus doesn't do that he goes after the lost sheep so go after him and seek to win him over by confronting him lovingly graciously about how he sinned against you mm-hmm. be clear be biblical be compassionate well if he doesn't then bring somebody with you now that bringing that person isn't a tag team on him and say see i got two you got one i'm better no that's right. that's not following the compassion of the father mm-hmm. but it's to bring him along to protect the other person mm-hmm. so that you're not abusing them and they're not abusing you and you've got a mediator there mm-hmm. that's that serves as an arbiter who says yeah no this is right what he's saying is right see from scripture or he's like no no matt you got it out of context mm-hmm. so but then if that doesn't work and your brother continues to sin then you bring it to the church mm-hmm. right and the church then the whole church is to go after him right so you see how much compassion and mm-hmm. love there is in this and then um 
And then if the person still doesn't come back, um, then ultimately is to be removed from the church and treated as a, uh, as a, as an unbeliever. And so, which means you still, it means you don't condemn them. God does that. That's already happened. But what you do is you separate from them both to protect yourself from becoming like them Mm -hmm. and being pulled into their sin, but also to drive them to see how serious their sin is and to question their salvation and ultimately bring them to Christ. So just like you treat a tax collector, you call them unto repentance. So you would do this person, but you do it compassionately, Mm -hmm. lovingly, graciously, patiently. But then he goes on and he talks about the reality of the things that were loosed in earth and loosed in heaven. Yeah, I, was, I, I, I know you, you know, know where I, I was going. I know, I know you yeah. know a lot about this uh-huh. in the charismatic church. What You know what that's saying? Let me tell you exactly what that's saying. How much confusion is... is you want to tell me what you think it's... Go ahead. Well, I'm not going to tell no, you what I think. You, I'm going to tell heard. you what I've heard. Yeah, what I've heard ahead. is that, you know, uh, uh, and I'm going to quote what I would say Kenneth Copeland would say yes. that this would be. It's yes. like, well, you know, God has already loosed the healing powers yes. of, uh, over this coronavirus, it and it nothing is now do coming down Where's to Where's healing in that? Huh? Where's healing in that passage? Okay, well, we're binding the demon of of coronavirus, and it's already been... Where's binding the demon in that passage? There's none of that. Well, you asked me what I I thought. I know, I know. (laughs) What people would tell me. But that's what they say. Yeah, I know definitely that's not what that is. It's ludicrous. Yeah, it is. It's it's crazy. Yeah, so what he's talking about there, he's talking about authority, right? Mm -hmm. Binding and loosing, having keys of the kingdom. He uses that Mm -hmm. phrase as well. It all speaks of authority, right? And what he's saying there is... When you do church discipline, when the church stands united together, he says, I am with you. Mm -hmm. I am there with my authority. Think about it, right? Who's the Lord of the church? Who's the Mm -hmm. builder of the church? Mm -hmm. Christ. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, as the church comes together and follows my word, my will, this plan, and you do this and you reach this point that's serious, that says we need to excommunicate. We need to separate from this person because we don't, we can no longer follow their testimony of faith. We don't see it credible. The Lord's saying, listen, what you are now binding or loosing on earth has already been done in heaven. I'm watching this. I already know it. So I'm saying you have my authority. What you're doing on earth has already been done in heaven. Go forward with courage, with confidence and compassion as you do this. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what he's saying. So when he says, when two or more are gathered in my name to do this, mm-hmm. to confront sin, to deal with sin, he's saying, have authority, have confidence. I am there with you because he hates sin. He wants sin confronted. He wants sin compassionately dealt with. And that's what he's talking about. He is not talking about what makes a church two or three people. That is not what he's talking about at all. And then in that church, you can loose and bind demons no. uh, because it's no. already been done in heaven. No. Or, or He's the, talking about the loosing and binding of God's de- de- decree over that person or that reality of sin, mm-hmm. which has already been done in heaven. We have the word. The word already says what sin is and what sin isn't and what it should be done. So the point is it's already been decreed in heaven. It's already been loosed in heaven by way of through the word. Now you're just loosing it on earth. And in many ways, it's interesting in church discipline, it's like um, when Jesus prays, uh, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. That's is There's a correlation here because what what we're trying to do in the church is to bring it in alignment with as much as we humanly can 
with what heaven desires, right? That's God's word. So when oh, we're constantly trying to bring the church, our church, local church, and by so the universal church, in line with the scriptures. And as we do, as we do that, the closer, we're never perfect because we're fallible, sinful men, yet we're constantly humbling ourselves to the word of God. And as we submit to it and walk closer in alignment and submission to the scriptures, guess what we're doing? We're actually becoming closer to what God designs in heaven now on earth. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what he's right. saying. Does that make yeah. sense? That makes sense. And that's um, the context. You can't come up with with another interpretation if you follow the context it's so clear but why follow the context well because then you have to say what it says and not say what you want it to say (laughs) so that's that that that's not fun for most people it's not fun for for, it's not fun for most people but you know the whole idea of the of where two or three are gathered together in my name there i am i'm like well wait a minute this is this has always been perplexing to me because that does not help me when i'm by myself so is jesus not with me (laughs) Because that's one of the most comforting truths in all right. the scriptures, yeah. Hebrews thirteen four, where it says, or five, I will never leave you nor forsake you yeah. as long as there's two of you. But yeah. when there's one, I'm not with you, mm-hmm. right? My promise is with you, but I'm not with you because it takes two for me to be with you. It's like this ludicrous. Mm-hmm. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ, by his spirit, walks with me every day, right? And so it's just like... Yeah, that you're 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 cutting the legs out from one of the greatest promises in all the Scripture that God walks with His own, yeah. whether they're two, three, three hundred, or one, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, yeah. Anyway, well, that's a great transition Sorry. to the next Scripture. It's it's absolutely perfect because the next Scripture is actually uh, Proverbs twenty four, okay. uh, verse sixteen, and I'll read that uh, for us. Uh, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again, <laughs> but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. There's actually a song uh, by a very famous artist, and the uh, the words are, we fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. For a saint is just a sinner who fell down and got up. Those are the lyrics uh, there are more lyrics to that, but, uh, well, that's it. it. You say that over and over and over again, and it's actually five times. And then you say, get back up again, get back up again, get back up again. For a saint is just a sinner who fell down and got up. Literally, that's exactly what the whole song is. So um, this is something that I've heard a lot. You know, a saint is just a sinner who fell down and got up. Now, it seems as if there is a line in between the two where sometimes I'm a saint, sometimes I'm a sinner. Um, and there was another song that said, I'm a sinner, I'm a saint. So I don't know, like, can you give me exactly what this is talking about? Because apparently, yeah. and, and you mentioned it today in your scripture, I mean, in your uh, in your sermon, uh, the word for, and I think you're yeah. going to probably start there. Yeah. So, well, Again, Speaking to the mic, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I got to use my glasses now because you got me all over the place. <laughs> I'm getting old. This is not fun. Anyway, so part of the issue is uh, Proverbs are, are, are not easy to interpret mm-hmm. just because it, we are limited in context. So mm-hmm. it, Proverbs, poetry in itself is one of the most difficult genres, which just means styles of writing that is uh, difficult to interpret at times because we don't have... 
as much context as we do with like historical narrative or uh, epistolary letters. Mm-hmm. And so uh, like in this in this passage in Proverbs 24, I can tell you right now just by reading it that you can't interpret verse 16 of 24 if you don't understand verse 15. Right. Verse 16 is connected, tethered to, inseparably linked with verse 15. So verse 15 helps you understand what's going on in mm-hmm. verse 16, and it reads, Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Oh, okay, so now we've got the righteous and the wicked. So Proverbs will often, many times in every chapter, do a comparison and contrast between the wicked man and the righteous. So that's what we have here. And it's and it's speaking about violence and dwelling, and it says, Do no violence to his home. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's talking about the righteous. Semicolon. Semicolon, right? <laughs> For, which again, I, I, I don't I don't recall the Hebrew here, but just in the English, when you see the word for there, um, and no doubt it's it's a causal conjunction in the Hebrew as well here, it speaks of of he's about give he's about ready to give you the reason mm-hmm. for what he just said. Right. So he said to the wicked man, do not lie in wait as a wicked man. Do mm-hmm. not, basically, do not try to do harm against the dwelling of the righteous person, mm-hmm. like a wicked person would do. And basically, that's what that third line of the proverb says: "Do no violence to his home." He's just—it's just a very terse explanation of what the first sentence or first phrase said. Now he's going to say, "Let me explain why." For reason, the righteous man will fall seven times. And he rises again, mm-hmm. but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Mm-hmm. The point being, they don't get up. Yeah. So the righteous, of course, is protected by God. Mm-hmm. The righteous is sustained by God. The righteous is preserved by God. Therefore, though he fall, though he may stumble, though he may be hurt, though you may attack him, you can try, but God is going to continue to protect him. He's going to continue to get up. This has nothing to do with with uh, the prosperity gospel and and uh, it's, it's not, just, a, it's it's not, not even s- speaking it's not even speaking of his own sin or there. salvation no not at that's, all that's what he's the talking song about being attacked it. yeah though the though the righteous be attacked seven times they're still going to get up right mm-hmm. now you, you could apply it if you wanted to in a loose way though a righteous man sins seven times you know he's gonna he's gonna repent and get up well there's truth to that mm-hmm. 70 times seven if he's a righteous man meaning if he's god's child he's gonna repent mm-hmm. so there's there's a there's a truth to that but not this passage is not talking about that right mm-hmm. it's talking about if you if you're gonna attack the righteous you need to know you can't stop them yeah. because the god who is behind them mm-hmm. right and their uh, foundation is is, is the is lord different yeah, yeah. and so mm-hmm. yeah yeah well that was kind of easy i felt um yeah. I, I, but you I knew see it. how it's tethered to what yeah. goes before and and i knew it because I, when i read it i was like well this is going to be easy he's going <laughs> to go straight to the word four yeah. and then he's going to connect it to the verse before that one yeah. but i'm gonna give you an even harder one now all right good um this these is, are all hard th- this isn't difficult this one isn't uh i'm gonna read the verse and then i'm gonna tell you what the reference is uh, uh, all right <laughs> <clears throat> I wish um, I had some dramatic music because that would be so awesome if I read this. Oh, wait. Can I give you music that would be perfect for this verse? What? Dun, 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 dun. 
So this is okay. I'm you know it. what music that is? Proper circumstance. It's graduation. It's, it's the you name. You are going to read the graduation verse. The name. This the graduation verse. Yeah, read it. I, do I, I don't. I don't even know, but I'm just assuming. Yeah, your, totally your glasses wrong. aren't that good. You can't see across the room. No, to see that. So, so tell me if you're going to read the graduation verse. Let's see. And, and FYI, the name of that the name of that song is "Pomp and Circumstance." Well, That's the name. There's of it. a lot of pomp and circumstance. In, yeah. in the misquoting of this verse. Oh yeah. All right. So for I know the That's plans I have for you, declares dun, the Lord. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> Pledge for welfare dun, and not for evil dun, 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 to give you a future and a hope. Dun, 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 That's it. Dun, That's the whole scene. <laughs> I don't know how many graduation ceremonies I've gone to and watched parents stand up and quote this to their daughter or their son, and I've sat there and go, if you knew the context of oh, that verse, goodness. you would not be quoting that to your daughter or your son. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because uh, I have one that's graduating this year. Thank the Lord. And uh, this will not be what I will be giving her. No. You know what I'm a, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say uh, Ephesians 2. There you go. The whole, like, the whole one chapter. To one to ten. Ephesians 2. So, okay. So, yeah. Jeremiah 29, 11. Yep. I think that would... If I was to list them in order of uh, in order of like the most misused twenty nine eleven would probably Jeremiah twenty nine eleven probably be that yeah. one or maybe two yeah so uh, can you give us the context of this entire yeah so this is um, in, in simply it's a context of judgment hmm. so this is why this is why it's it's so easily pulled out of context. When you see it in settings like I, we just referred to as graduation ceremonies or whatnot, it, this is a context of judgment. Uh, Jeremiah is prophesying that that Israel is going to be in judgment for seventy years. Hmm. This is actually what uh, Daniel was reading when Daniel figured out that Israel was going to be released. Because you see it right there when you look up the page at. Uh, I got to put my glasses back, buddy. You're killing me. Man. <laughs> I feel old. When you look up the page, when it says, uh, where's it at here? Uh, verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So imagine Daniel, who's in Babylon, mm -hmm. and he's reading this. He's mm -hmm. studying Jeremiah because he was a student of the scriptures, which mm -hmm. is exciting to think about. And there he is. He's reading. And he's like, wait a minute. Does his math. We've been in Babylon for 70 years. Mm -hmm. Prophet Jeremiah said, when 70 years are done, God's going to visit us. And that's when he's like, get ready, Israel, we're going to be released. Hmm. So so the context of this is Jeremiah, has he's prophesied for over 20 years that judgment is coming because Israel wouldn't repent, Judah in particular. They wouldn't repent and trust the Lord. And so that God was going to bring in other nations, and especially uh, Babylon, to judge them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when he when he's talking about judge them, I mean they they turned to cannibalism. They mm -hmm. the mothers were eating 
children out of the womb. Wow. Right? Because they were starving out Jerusalem for years. Mm-hmm. And you go back and read about that in Lamentations 1 and 2. It's and, and in Jeremiah, early part of Jeremiah, it's just wicked. It's awful. It's sick. But that's the kind of judgment that was brought upon Judah for her wickedness and her rebellion against God. And so the context of this is Jeremiah is saying, you're going into judgment. You're going you're gonna to lose everything. The city's going to be decimated. The people are going to be destroyed. People are going to be slaughtered. You're going to eat one another. I mean, that's the kind of judgment that God brings on sin in his holy, righteous wrath. But then within that, he gives them a promise. After these 70 years of judgment are, are over, then I'm going to come in and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill my promise. And that's where, you know, the, the, the text picks up mm-hmm. with verse 11, which goes on and, and gives the, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So again, he's talking about being sent into exile. Mm -hmm. He's talking about bringing a specific people back from exile after judgment is done. He is not talking to individuals. He is not talking to specific people. He's talking to a nation, the nation of Israel. Hmm. That's the context here. He's talking to his people based upon their exile to Babylon, Mm -hmm. which began in 605 and the three deportations that ended in about 586, and then it wasn't till about five, uh, wasn't until about, what, 530. Um, yeah, no, it was about 515 that they eventually start going back, mm-hmm. right, to, um, to Jerusalem after, um, after the Persians come in and Cyrus essentially releases them. And it starts with his decree in 530s and ends in the final deportation. So that's the context. Not a not a high school graduation, not an individual, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Old Testament Israel, and that some of this even hasn't been completely fulfilled yet, and will be finally fulfilled as the Lord ultimately brings them back. Mm-hmm. But um, but that's what he's talking about specifically is that time in that setting, and not in a graduation ceremony to an individual. And if you read the text, I mean, look at what he says. I mean. I, I, I mean, again, think about how easily this gets taken out of context. For I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations. Like, what does that mean if you're talking to a high school girl? <laughs> like, what fortunes? Man, man, good Lord, I like my I like my future. Give me oh, my, my fortunes. Yeah. Give me my, you know, but then it's like from all the nations. Well, man, I, I, I all right, what does that mean? So, again, it doesn't even make sense. So, again, I, I understand, and I don't want to speak disrespectfully because i get it what people are doing they're they're just trying to show that god does has have a plan for people he does Mm -hmm. he has a plan that they worship him Mm -hmm. that they serve him as the one true god that they renounce all think about it this is his plan that that unless you renounce all you cannot be his disciple his plan for you is not to restore your fortune his plan is that you would turn away from all your fortunes that you would die to yourself that you would literally take up your cross, your cross of self-denial, self-death, your cross of dying to your fortunes, your mm-hmm. dreams, your passions, die to that and live wholly and fully for him mm-hmm. in complete humility and utter 
adoration. That's his plan for you, not yeah. this. Yeah. So you see the difference mm-hmm. between the two, and uh, that's. But God does have a plan, and His plan is to restore mm-hmm. by e restore the relationship and bring salvation and all of that. And He is a loving God and a caring Father. And I know that's why people bring out this verse because it kind of has those tones to it, which mm-hmm. because that's who God is. Right. But that is not what He's saying to us as individuals. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, He says to us as individuals in Philippians chapter two that we have not only been ordained, ordered, commanded, and decreed by God to believe in his name, but those of us who do, we also have been ordained to suffer for his sake. Yeah. It's like, that. that's actually a really good verse to read at a graduation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That would be a good one. It's a good one. It's like, yep. okay, now you're getting ready to step out in the world, and let us let me remind you, mm-hmm. you have not only been ordained to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as, his, as your Lord and Savior, but... Trust me, you've been ordained to suffer for his sake, mm-hmm. and it's going to be hard. Especially if you're going into the uh, world of academia yeah. at a lot of these yeah. universities. Yeah, yeah. but I have i don't know if I've ever heard that verse read at a graduation. Yeah. Well, I've heard this one, too, oh, um, at a graduation. No, you're good. Uh, this, this one, um, Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border. And that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. Jabez. Is that the prayer of Jabez? The prayer of Jabez is First yeah. Chronicles yeah. chapter 4, verse yeah. 10. Now, I, I bring up this one. And as I'm as I'm going back through these 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 uh, these scriptures, I'm realizing that there is a song written for the uh the the I, the I know the plans a friend of mine wrote a song about yeah. it and then this one there's a song uh by a, a very famous artist that put this out there yeah and i think about it and i'm like and it was i think they were using a different uh translation because i pray for increase was like the the the, the last part of it and you know enlarge my territory and you know all this stuff is what they were singing so uh, contextually, yeah. uh, w- what are we looking at? Is this something that we should be praying for ourselves? No, not at all. Um, and he, again, this is helpful even going back to Proverbs. Proverbs sometimes is, is because the context is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, Proverbs is often taken out of context, especially passages that talk about wealth and riches, because that comes up quite a bit in Proverbs. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and I can answer some of that now, mm-hmm. because there is a universal uh, contextual issue that that deals with that. So when you're looking uh, in the Old Testament in particular, you're dealing with a theocracy, right? You're dealing with a, a, a national issue. Where more in the New Testament, you're dealing with not a theocracy, you're, you're dealing with the church, mm-hmm. and oftentimes a more individual issue, right, um, as part of the church. So you're still dealing with a congregation or a gathering but it's the church, and it's not a theocracy. It's it's not Israel. But in the Old Testament, you're dealing with theocracy, meaning you had a king, i.e. God, and you had Israel, a people. Now that king, then there was the uh, human kings that were lined up, but ultimately God was was to be their king, and that's how they were to function. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so much of what you see in the Old Testament, especially in like these prayers, is they were praying under that theocracy, mm-hmm. where you know land was their commodity, land was their blessing, land was their wealth, and God had promised to do that again. That God had promised in the Old Testament because again, that's was the theocracy that they were going to get a land. 
right? He mm-hmm. promised from the Abrahamic covenant, you're mm-hmm. going to have this land. You're going to be as numerous as the sand is on the seashore, and I'm going to give you all this land, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, part of what they're praying is accordance to what God had promised. And in a theocracy, that makes sense, meaning a, a kingdom with a king deserves and desires a place, a mm-hmm. land, and a people, right? And mm-hmm. so they're just praying in line with that. And certain ones were promised that, as Abraham was, and uh, and David was. And and so, so many of those prayers are dealing with that theocratic theocratic context. We're no longer under that. We, we've never been promised a land. Mm-hmm. We've never been promised a, a fortune by way of a kingdom, right? That's not how we function. We're the church. Way different, right? Mm. That's Israel. Mm-hmm. So that that is helpful when you're reading these theocratic uh, context passages that are dealing with a theocracy, with a king and a kingdom and a people. They 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 lived in a certain land with a certain amount of of Old Testament wealth, which was part of their uh, economy and part of their context. Where we don't have that. We don't have a king, a literal king like they have, mm-hmm. and they will have in the future. Um, you know, we're it's way different now. We have we're the church, and so so that's why you don't see that stuff in the New Testament, right? You don't see any of that, mm-hmm. right? Be- why? Because it's changed. Well, not not necessarily that it's changed, but the context has changed, right? Right, and so again, that's where the context is helpful. So no, we don't pray that whole book and that whole idea that pray that the Lord will extend your boundaries. And again, that totally contradicts what the New Testament teaches. Mm-hmm. New Testament teaches that you're going to die to yourself, mm-hmm. that you're going to give up those things, and never it never says that wealth is bad, but it says that you should be using your wealth to advance the gospel, and you should be giving uh, for others. And uh, not looking down upon your wealth, but using it for the service of others, mm-hmm. not seeking to expand it through through uh, selfish prayers like that, but seeking to give it away like, like Barnabas did mm-hmm. when he brings his money to the apostles' feet and lays it down, right? And, uh, and which is uh, what we should do with all of our wealth by way of helping one another and serving one another. And uh, God doesn't condemn riches, but he clearly gives a clear uh, uh, exhortation on what those riches are for and what those riches will do in the New Testament and uh, different setting in the old as the riches were part of the kingdom, mm-hmm. the earthly kingdom, yeah. and versus the church. So, sorry. Well, that's good. I uh, Now that I, I, I'm not supposed to pray that prayer that you've broken me down, I have to do sorry. another one. Sorry. I have to pray another prayer. and Well, not necessarily pray another prayer, but... I would say uh chant this uh this this actual verse. Here we go. And um you know you've probably seen this before in in various places. I'm sure I haven't. Sure you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> so um the verse is I can do all things yeah. through him who strengthens me. And yeah. uh or gives me strength if you uh, look at some other uh different versions. The verse is actually found in Philippians chapter four, I, verse thirteen. I I think I think this could be the most misquoted verse in the Bible. You think so? I think only because of this, because just about every NFL player at some point or another puts Philippians four under his eyes right. or, or right. quotes that. Right. Mm-hmm. And which is again, totally out of context. And, and uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What's your question? What does I need mean? to know the context of this because, okay. Are you ready? The context, the context is honestly, it's contentment. 
That's mm. what he's talking about. He is talking about being content in all things. Being content. He's already he said it earlier that I know what it means to abound, meaning mm-hmm. to 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 have blessing, even wealth or 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 uh, the providence of God, meaning I have all my provisions, whatever that may be. I, I lack for nothing. Paul mm-hmm. says I know what it is to lack nothing, mm-hmm. and I know what what it is to need everything. Mm-hmm. So he knows what it, I know what it is to be to abound and to be abased, mm-hmm. right? And Paul says I know both, and he says. And I've and I've learned that I can do all things. I can I can be faithful when I abound, and I can be faithful when I'm a base. When mm-hmm. I'm I have no need, and when I have all needs, I can be faithful. Why? Because Christ. It is Christ who gives me the strength. It is Christ who is my contentment. This is what he talks about earlier when he says the secret of contentment. The secret is Christ. Mm-hmm. When Christ is your all in all, then if I have everything, it's good. If I have nothing, it's still good. Why? Because I'm content, not with my circumstances, whether they be good or bad. I'm content because I have Christ. He is the secret. Therefore, I can do all things. I can be content when it's good, and I can be content when it's bad because I have Christ, because he is the one who strengthens me. And you know, it's funny, uh, you know, for so long I've used uh, the King James Version, um, And the uh, New International NIV version, and I've never noticed it, but in the ESV, which is what I use for everything now, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's it. So it's like, it's it to me, it's kind of like a, a big like yeah. difference between, you know, how it's uh, like, let me, if I, if I switch real quick to uh, the NIV, uh, it's the same thing. It says yeah. through him who gives me strength, not not through you know. Um, that's a that's a weird thing to do, which which strengtheneth me. Yeah, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So they all do the same thing, but I think the through part is what is missed. So the context, of course, Philippians is all about provision, right? Mm-hmm. They were providing for Paul. For his ministry, it goes all the way back to chapter 1, right at the very beginning, where he's thanking them for their provision, for their blessing financially, mm-hmm. where they were providing for him, they were sustaining him. And he's talking about, again, in the context here, as he's wrapping up the letter, he's talking about how he had rejoiced greatly, now at length, that they had revised their concern for Paul and was going to give more mm-hmm. for him. And he was thankful for that. And he says, you indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, no opportunity to bring about provision because of your concern. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. So he's saying, I'm not in direct need right now, for I have learned in whatever situation, think about it, in mm-hmm. whatever situation, I am to be content. He's like, I've learned that. Mm-hmm. Then he speaks I, of his situation. Now he goes, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, there it is, of Mm -hmm. facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what is the secret? Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's that's pretty clear. It's It's him. When I focus on him Mm -hmm. and not in my circumstance, which is the whole heartbeat of what I'm preaching right now on fear, Sinful fears when you focus on your circumstance. Godly fears when you focus on God. That's all Paul is saying here. Yeah. The secret to contentment is where is your where is your contentment? Mm-hmm. If it's in Christ, you never lose. He never diminishes. You never get less. You never lose. 
when your contentment is in the world, you're in a world of hurt because yeah. you're always going to lose. Yeah. Sorry. That's very, very clear. Um, the next one is, uh, is, is a great, uh, little scripture that a lot of people have, you know, tended to go to, uh, <laughs> all right. I don't know why I put this one on the list. I'm going to, um, let's, let's see. I, th- I think that it's because, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like that one. This is first Corinthians 10, 13, but I, I've, I haven't really, I don't know if I want to use that one as one that goes out of context. So I think we're going to skip that one. Uh, just for, for, for you all okay. would know, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God mm-hmm. is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I put it in there because yeah. people are like, well, you know, he, he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, and, and so the issue with this verse, because it does get taken out of context or probably more specifically what it gets taken is not so much out of context as it is. It is parsed in context, meaning mm-hmm. that's all they say. Mm-hmm. So, so oftentimes how people misuse verses isn't so much out of context. It is often out of context, but often they give partial truth. They only share half the verse. And in this one, that's what, what often happens. Mm-hmm. So they'll say, so they'll say, see, God's not going to give you more than you can bear. Right. Yeah. You yeah, know, that God's not trusting yeah. me. Tr- this God's, is another song that yep, I'm thinking yep, of. God's, uh, God's yep. no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Right. And they'll stop right there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, keep reading. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the part. Yeah. That most people fail, and and which helps clarify what he's talking about there. And the way of escape is faithfulness. The way of escape is submission to the scriptures. The mm-hmm. way of escape is 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 humbling yourself, casting yourself on the work on the work and person of Christ, who has already gone before you and has been tempted in every way, yet without sin. Mm-hmm. He is the way of escape, and it's just follow him faithfully, do what he says. And, it, and again, it's not to take you out of the temptation, it's to take you through it, mm-hmm. right? And so there is a promise and hope in that. In this, if you are a believer, there is no temptation that can overtake you, mm-hmm. right? There isn't, because Christ is in you, and, and yet temptations overtake us all the time. Why? Because we're not following Christ, we're mm-hmm. following our own desires, mm-hmm. our own, and we want to get out of, the, out of the temptation, meaning out of the trial, Mm-hmm. Out of the struggle, and God's like, no, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take you out. I'm gonna take you through it mm-hmm. because remember, you're following Christ, and He never was taken out of any. He had to go through them, right? Mm-hmm. And so you will as well. But you do it by following Him. He's already gone before you. It's right there. He's the way of escape. Follow Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's another another song. Uh, uh, no, He'll never put more on you than no, never put more on me than I can bear. Yeah, and it's like, but it's not your ability. Yeah, that's I, the point. Yeah, it's your ability as you rest in Christ, mm-hmm. as you focus on Christ. You see the theme here, yeah. Paul and Philippians, same thing. Mm-hmm. Christ, it's He, He, He is that. It's yeah. Uh, I think we're getting, to, uh, we're understanding what uh, the the Bible is about. Uh, with with, you know, as far as like the the major theme is Christ one hundred percent. And but in that passage, what's people, the what's the next verse that again nobody wants to talk about? But in verse fourteen, therefore, my beloved, fee, flee idolatry. 
That's the point. <laughs> yeah. Because you're looking point. to your own desires, uh-huh. your own your own wants, your own wishes, which are your idols. Yeah. And rather than looking to to the Lord, mm-hmm. and that's the way of escape. Yeah. Burn down those idols. Deny those those fleshly lusts and those passions of your heart. Kill them as you're commanded to, and follow Christ, and you will escape every single time. Mm-hmm. Well, this is another one that is very very. Uh, Oh, you was uh, you said that Jeremiah twenty nine eleven might be, or is it First Corinthians, uh, Philippians? Yeah, I, th- I think just because of the athletic world, I think Philippians four okay. is probably yeah between that and Jeremiah twenty nine. Those, those are the two. Well, yeah. I got another one. All right, I, I think we might have to add it to. Right. This might be uh, tied for second place. Ask and it will be given to you. <laughs> Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you? Uh, that's the. It, it's really just those two verses, seven and eight. Yeah. The other part is uh, um, uh, really verse eleven. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And this is definitely the uh, the prosperity, uh, one of the prosperity uh, gospel uh, scriptures. Yep. Um, the, the other one we'll get to um, that is used a whole lot. But uh, what's the context of this? So you're reading out of Matthew 7? Matthew 7, yeah. verse 7. Yeah, so the context is the Beatitudes, right? The Sermon mm-hmm. on the Mount. And again, he's he's speaking, he's speaking gospel truth, right? Mm-hmm. He's not talking about temporal life mm-hmm. again. Let me just make this really clear in context. Mm-hmm. What does he say at the beginning of the sermon when he sets all this up? So if we're going to talk about wealth and 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 prosperity, that that's what he's speaking of, which is what the prosperity gospels, the prosperity preachers will mm-hmm. use this for. He says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Mm. Right. So he's he's not saying that the poor in spirit have want. He's saying they're blessed mm-hmm. to be to be broken mm-hmm. right in their spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, mm-hmm. right? Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And this is chapter 5, yeah, correct? Yeah, this is at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are are those and the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are are you are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that's the context, mm-hmm. right, where he's talking about this reality of gospel truth. This is this is the call of gospel ministry. This is the call of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. This is the road. This is the path. This is what it li- this is what it's like to live in my kingdom, Jesus says. Mm-hmm. This is what my kingdom is like. Right. And so the beatitudes or the sermon on the mount is in many ways the ethics of the kingdom, the morality of the kingdom or the message of the kingdom, mm-hmm. right? So so Jesus is saying, "Listen, I'm the king and here's Here's my message. Here's what it's like to live in my kingdom. Mm-hmm. Blessed are these people. Happy are these people. Notice what's not in there. Prosperity. Yeah. There's nothing about wealth. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about anything temporal. Actually, he denies all the temporal. He says, 
he says the the temporal accolades of your position he said don't worry about that they're going to persecute you your life don't worry about that they're going to persecute poverty don't worry about the spiritual poverty where you're broken don't worry about that so he's he's turning the tables on on the prosperity idea that that's what he's saying so when he gets to um chapter seven he's still in this reality of gospel minute the whole things about what the gospel looks like what the gospel impact will be on your life so if you live as a true citizen of his kingdom this will be your attitude Mm this will be your pursuit Mm -hmm. these are the things you will pursue because in these you'll be blessed right you know and so that's what he's talking about through Mm -hmm. the whole of the of the sermon on the mount so when he goes forward he says ask and it will be given to you seek and and you will find knock and the door will be opened unto you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be open and then he's talking about entry into the kingdom. He's talking about following his kingdom message. If you want to be a part of this, then seek it, then find it, and ask for it, receive it. Mm-hmm. He's not talking about asking whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. He's not talking name it and claim it. That's what yeah. that's how they use it. Yeah. Speak the word, and it's yours. Mm-hmm. No, he's talking about uh, this reality of um, of following him. And then he goes on, and he speaks of the of the gospel reality in chapter seven. And he gives the two roads and the two prophets and, or the two ways and the two people. Mm -hmm. And again, speaking of those who are in the kingdom, either the follow the King and those who don't. Mm -hmm. And if you want to follow the King, then you seek him. You, you ask, you receive, you go after it and you knock at the door and, and you will enter the door of what the door of his kingdom, Mm -hmm. the door of the message of the gospel. Yeah. Right. Repent and believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like we're bursting people's bubbles today, but Sorry. that's okay. Sorry. Uh, go back to verse 1, and that's the other one, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. That gets uh, used a lot. Judge not that you that you be not judged. Yeah. And that gets used a lot when there is, you know, someone confronting someone on something. Yeah. Um, so, you know. yeah, so... Back to before, and I'll get, I'll, I'll deal with that. So back in the same context, chapter seven, right? Mm-hmm. We'll go to the judgment. But when he's talking about asking, receiving, remember, he's telling them and he's showing them, I'm the king. Mm-hmm. My, my kingdom's not of this world, but I'm the king. And here's, here's the ethics. Here's the, here's the message. Here's the, here's the demographics of my kingdom. This is how it works. This is the decorum of my kingdom. And he says, I'm a good king. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. You will find me to be a faithful king. So he uses the analogy of the father and the son, right? Whoever asks for a bread, nobody gives him a snake, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, so his point is, go back. If you have needs, I'll take care of you. Mm-hmm. Just ask me. If you mm-hmm. have a legitimate need, bring your prayer request to me. And I'll ask you. That's why he's, he has a whole section on what? Not worrying. Mm-hmm. And why do you worry? Why, why do you worry about what tomorrow will bring? Um, I'm going to take care of you. And so he talks about that. And I mean, that's right up at the end of chapter six, right before judge, be anxious. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Seek first the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. There it is. Seek first my kingdom, seek first my glory, my ways, faithfulness to me, and I'll take care of all these things. Mm -hmm. And if you need them, ask me and know that I'm going to give them to you because I'm a good father, which is what he says at the bottom of, uh, at verse 11, if you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts. Notice that he calls them evil. I always find that interesting, right? Wow. 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Right? Mm-hmm. And again, he's not talking about prosperity, but he's talking about the needs that you have, the natural, you know, providential, provisional needs that you have. Mm-hmm. And so now back up to the other one, judging, right? So judge not that you may not be judged, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a, I like to say, telephone pole in your own eye? (laughs) You hypocrite. First, this is key to understanding this. You hypocrite. First, take out the log, which means repent. That's what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Take out the log, recognize your own sin, and repent of it. Then, notice, then you will clearly see the speck. Be, you will clearly be able to take, I'm not on my glasses on, clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Mm-hmm. So notice, he doesn't say, stop judging your brother. Stop <laughs> looking. He says, repent yourself so that you can see clearly. Mm-hmm. Humble yourself. Then you'll be able to deal with your brother's sin. Hmm. So he's not saying, as everybody says, you're not supposed to judge. God tells us not to judge. He tells us to judge all the time, mm-hmm. to think wisely, right? We mm-hmm. dealt with Matthew 18 a minute ago. He's going to say it, and again, he's going to say it in Matthew 7 in a second. Look over at uh, verse uh, 15 in Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. How are you going to know they're false prophets if you don't judge them? Right. Watch what he says. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them oh, by doing judgment, mm-hmm. by their fruits. Right? Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs and thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. The diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Everyone that does does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit, i.e., you will judge them and tell whether they're good or bad. Hmm. So he's never he's never saying in Matthew seven to not judge. He's saying don't judge selfishly. Don't judge pridefully. Mm-hmm. Don't judge legalistically. Mm-hmm. He's saying judge humbly. Deal with your own sin first, which which is exactly what Galatians 6 says. Deal with your own sin first, then go to your brother humbly, graciously, and compassionately. That's good. So as we're doing that, um, I got another verse that says, And the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. That's different from the version that I uh, usually uh, I learned it in. Right. That he run that readeth it. See, now that I read it that way, because I think that what I when I would first hear it all the time, it's like yeah. right division, make it plain so that a herald can run with it. Yeah. 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 That's what it is in the NIV version. Yep. Uh, write down the vision and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it, mm-hmm. with it. In the ESV, it says. Run. Who reads it? Yeah. So that just t- it's, it's like it, the person is running with it. Yeah. Or the person that reads it and then runs is yeah. kind of like the the context there. Uh, well, not the context, but like the the understanding, the wording, the wording in, is is different. 
So, um, what passage are you in? Uh, this is Habakkuk two. Yeah. And I actually heard a, a preacher you may have heard of him. Um, his, his name is TD Jakes and he, uh, did a whole sermon on this for like a woman's conference. And, uh, in that he was saying that, you know, some people, you know, people, other people can't write your vision. Other people can't write your vision. He kept saying that. It's like, you got to sit there. You got to write down your vision. It could be, and uh, other people ain't going to like your vision. They can't write it, and they're not going to like it. And, you know, with that, he was just kind of explaining that you as a person need to sit and write down the vision that God has given you uh, for that business that you want to start, for uh, the future that you want to do. Uh, you know, uh, uh, do a, a certain, you know, whatever, you know. So, uh, what is the context of this description? <laughs> TD Jakes is scary. <laughs> the look that I could explain, if I could explain the look that that he's giving me right now, it's the what I, in I, the world? I, well, uh, here's 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 the context of the look. I was thinking of uh, of a of an audio file I heard one time with TD Jakes and Stephen Furtick together. That was scary. And they did yeah. this thing where Stephen Furtick threw out, just threw out a phrase. Oh, a word, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember and, that. And T.D. Jakes would, would just like immediately go into just, sermon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was it was very scary. I have to say that the ability to just come up with these like on the spot like sermons, I, I it was impressive. Yeah. I will say that it was impressive, yeah. but not impressive in the way as, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit down and listen to this guy. And it was scary. No, no, listen, that's what makes false teachers so effective. They are often impressive. Yeah, definitely. And that's, he's a false teacher to mm-hmm. the core and, uh, and he's an impressive one Yeah, as is many others. And so, uh, yeah, again, false teaching has its, has no appeal if it's a derelict up there who fumbles around and doesn't know what he's you know saying by way mm-hmm. of he can't put words together uh, satan's smarter than that and that's what false teachers are ministers of of uh, of satan and so uh satan's not not going to empower or enlist you know idiots by way of they they can't string words together and so that's what makes false teaching so scary but anyway um yeah so that passage i mean you're dealing with a context of prophecy in prophetic language right and mm-hmm. so the prophets uh habakkuk is given a vision as all prophets were in different ways and uh and so yeah i mean he's dealing with that reality of uh what passage is it in habakkuk I, two yeah habakkuk and, chapter two verse two and so the context itself um is let me um it's uh it's actually um the con hold on I'm gonna read it because I don't want to I don't want to take it out of context put your glasses on yeah man thank you <laughs> gotta right. see it oh yeah yep and the Lord answered me write a vision make it plain on the tablets so he may run who reads it for still the vision awaits its appointed time it hastens to the end it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. And so um, this is, this. you know, Habakkuk is an interesting book because you have the complaints of Habakkuk and the answer of the Lord. And that's really what the, uh, in the three chapters, right? You have the, Habakkuk is, is complaining for, you know, essentially, 
um, he, he's crying out for help for his people, and the Lord is not answering, mm-hmm. right? And so that's why he starts out in verse 2 of chapter 1, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you... Do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And so there's the prophet saying, Lord, mm-hmm. what is going on here? Our mm-hmm. people are being overrun. And, and the Lord says, look, look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am rising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth, who sees dwelling not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome, and the justice and dignity go forth themselves, their horses. And so he's describing what, what he's doing and how he is going to bring about justice through through guilty men, mm-hmm. which is what God has done. He's going to use nations to essentially punish his people, and then he's going to use other nations to punish them in their sin. Mm-hmm. And so Habakkuk is essentially complaining to the Lord, how long is this going to take? And so what you're reading in chapter 2 is essentially the Lord saying, all right, get ready. I'm going to give you a vision of when it's coming. I'm going to give you a vision of what it's going to look like. Write it down. Write it down so that when you, when I, when I show you this, when I give you this, it may be encouraging for those who read it mm-hmm. that they may know the truth that's coming. And that's essentially what prophecy was. Yeah. And um, and so when you continue on, and he's talking about again the Chaldeans and what he was going to do with them, and um, and he's speaking about. Um, the reality of their judgment upon Israel. And then when you get to chapter 3, well, let me um, look at verse 14 of chapter 2, or verse 6. He says, Shall not also these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, you know, now he's going to basically quote the Chaldeans and he's going to speak about how they have brought violence upon the earth, and now the Lord's going to bring violence upon them. Mm-hmm. So he essentially prophesies against them, which again, he does this multiple times, which is amazing about the sovereignty of God. And then he um, he said, look at verse 19, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone arise. He's talking about idols, right? And he says, can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silent before him. And now that's the vision. So he gave him the vision that the Chaldeans are going to be crushed. Mm -hmm. And let no one look to idols for help. Look to me, right? That's the vision. Now Habakkuk says, he prays, and the prophet prays, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. I love this. Oh, Lord, do I fear. So his point is, the Lord tells him, Habakkuk's like, Lord, when are you going to bring justice upon the earth? Look at this violence. Look at these people. And Mm -hmm. the Lord's like, just relax. I got this. Watch what I'm going to (laughs) do. Write write this down. Write this down. (laughs) Watch what I'm doing now Mm -hmm. because our people deserve it. But now watch what I'm going to do to them because Mm -hmm. the way they're doing it 
is is more sinful, mm-hmm. right? And so he explains it. And then Habakkuk's response is, Lord, I have heard the report of you and your word. Oh, Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy, mm-hmm. right? He's saying, oh, my goodness, God, you're greater than I even anticipated. Mm-hmm. Your, your strength is greater than all that can be heard. And so he prays this marvelous prayer, and I love this, right? And so... Um, I, and this is why I was doing this, because I wanted to get to the end of chapter 3. And he says in verse 16, um, it, he's talking about the the judgment of God coming upon the earth and upon the, the wicked. And he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yes, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Hmm. He's scared when he he when he knows what's coming. Yeah. It makes him tremble. Mm-hmm. Yet he's going to quietly wait for the Lord. Now watch this. This is this is this is one of my favorite passages in the prophets. Though the fig tree should not blossom. This gets taken out of context all the time too, by the way. Hmm. But this is a good this is a good passage to preach. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall. So he's talking about as the judgment of the Lord goes out, this mm-hmm. is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's going to be pestilence. We're seeing it in our own land, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be de- devastation. There's going to be all kinds of stuff that's going to happen. There's going to be nothing left. But watch his response. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread in high places. Hmm. How can he have such confidence? Though he started out with great complaint in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Why? Because he got a right understanding of God. Mm -hmm. When he saw God for who he is, he stopped complaining and started worshiping. That's good. That's the context. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Sorry. Yeah, well, that's that's actually not exactly what uh, I thought. Well, I thought it was different. I, I definitely knew that it was different from what, anything that T.D. Jakes would say. Yeah. But uh, like I said, you're bursting a lot of people's bubbles. Sorry. This is going to be my last one uh, right. for this one. Uh, and the reason why I bring this one up, because it has been so many different ways that people have just said this over and over and over again and when i read the actual scripture it really shocked me and i want to bring this up because this is not just in the context of uh this whole uh, name and acclaim it and word of faith uh movement but this is like the like one of the biggest scriptures that i hear all the time yeah it's actually romans chapter four and the scripture is verse 17 i'm going to read it in the king james version and uh, the reason why i want to do that is because this it it just sounds fancy so as it is written king james as it is written i have made thee a father of many nations now that is in parentheses uh, but then it says before him, before him, who he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as they were. <laughs> I so know exactly what you're in, going an, with in, this. 
in other in other call uh, it those things. Yes, call them out. Speak those things call out. as though they were. You just just say it and say name it. it. It it'll be done. You know because and and this is the reasoning Heresy. behind it. Yeah, it's because of who you Heresy. are. <laughs> Heresy. People say it's because of who you are. You can Heresy. just say it and then and then it comes up. It's awful. Yeah. So give that's give, being God. Who's the only person that can do that? It literally it's says God. this. It literally says that is exactly who it is. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, yes. comma, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Yeah, That's so, the ESV. So so the point, again, context, right? Again, he's talking about Abraham. He's using Abraham. Chapter 4 really is Abraham is the illustration of faith. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the reality is we need the righteousness of God, and the righteousness of God is only given to those who have faith, who Mm -hmm. have belief in the Lord. Paul has spent three chapters showing how man is utterly devoid of righteousness, and man is desperately in need of God's righteousness. It must be given to man, Mm -hmm. and it is only given to man uh, when man believes. Mm Mm-hmm. Abraham is the greatest, clearest example of righteousness being given to him because he believed. That's why Abraham is the model of faith. Mm-hmm. And that's what Romans 4 says emphatically, right? Um, that a- that Abraham, long before he was even circumcised, which kills the whole works-based salvation, mm-hmm. right? And so long before that... God promised that Abraham would be the father of many nations and that he would make out of his own children a whole nation. Abraham believed God, it says, and he it was credited to him as righteousness. So basically, he believed what God said, and God therefore gives him perfection, i.e. positional perfection, righteousness, mm-hmm. and says, you are now right in my sight because mm-hmm. you believed what I said. So what is happening here in Romans 4 is Paul is using Abraham as a declaration that God can do the impossible. He can take a sinful human being who's not righteous and essentially declare them righteous because that's what he did with Abraham. And he and he's using how Abraham becomes the father of a child when he's dead, i.e. unable to produce any uh, for lack of a better word, seed, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what he means when he says he's calling to the to out the things that are dead. Abraham is dead. He he has no ability to produce a child. He's beyond childbearing, and so is his wife, right? And so, so physically they are dead, unable to produce children. And 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 God, in His powerful, mysterious omnipotent grace is able to call out of Abraham an ability to create a child when he's as good as dead. So it is, he does with all who believe, he's able to take the unrighteous and make them righteous Mm -hmm. because they have faith in him. Yeah. So what you're saying is this has nothing to do with me speaking anything into existence no because uh abraham didn't speak anything into existence so look what it says context that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise the promise made to abraham it's all about abraham the promise made to abraham rests on grace meaning outside of abraham he couldn't do anything about it and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to 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 the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, now he's 
quoting back, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom you have believed, who gives life to the dead, i.e. Abraham is as good as dead, and he gives him life and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope. It made no sense. How can this dead man produce a child? Mm -hmm. That he should become the father of many nations. And as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith, but he considered, here it is, his own body, which was as good as dead. There it is. That's what he's talking about. Abraham's body, since he was about 100 years old, or when considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's what faith is. Faith isn't seeing the fulfillment of the promise. Faith is seeing that the promise has not been fulfilled, but I believe that God can and will fulfill it in the future. Mm -hmm. That's what faith is, and that's why Abraham is the model of faith. By God's design, he, he put him as the model so that we would know what it meant to believe and trust in God and know that we would be given righteousness even in our dead self spiritually. We are dead, but God will give us spiritual life. He will give us the righteousness of Christ if we will only trust in him. Sorry. That's good. That was a fun. That was that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine uh I can imagine how a lot of people feel listening to that have never heard uh, Matt uh, actually give the explanation of the scriptures in some ways. And it's sometimes it can be devastating. It can be hurtful because oh, you have learned. No, 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 no. Not, not in a way that you would be, you know, hurtful towards them. Yeah, I don't want to sound, hopefully I don't sound arrogant or prideful or no. mean. I'm not trying. If that's the case, man, God forbid. No, that's, that's definitely not what I mean. I mean, it's like, kind of like you've built your hopes and dreams on scripture <laughs> oh, yeah. that has yeah. been taken out of context yeah. all these years. Oh, and that is hurtful. And you live your life, yeah. you you live your life speaking those things into existence, writing down the vision yeah. so that, you know, and making that vision plain so that you could have these things and yeah. you you live your life that way. To, to, so that it will be a, uh, uh, you know, uh, like this is what I'm living for. This oh, yeah. is what I want. This is what, and, and, and because I am a child of God, I can have these things. I've watched people weep. Yeah. I've watched people weep and have them tell, and have them literally weeping saying, why have I not been taught this before? Mm-hmm. All, the, literally, a quote now, all that I have believed and all that I have been taught is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm I'm sure they're using the term all because I'm sure there's other things they know even about scriptures. But most of what they when they're coming out of false teaching, which so many people are, it is again full circle. Mm-hmm. How do we start this? Taking scriptures out of context is disastrous. Mm-hmm. It's deceptive. It's disappointing. It's discouraging. Mm-hmm. It's debilitating. I mean, it's just it's it's so so divisive yeah. and destructive. Yeah. And, and, and I completely get it because as I began to, um, as, as God began to open my eyes to a lot of these things, um, 
you know, and and this was before I actually came to Belcroft. It was like, wait a minute, that that doesn't really make sense because I've read this scripture and wait, that doesn't make sense because I've read this scripture. Like the scripture began to just like bubble, like just just come to life and just like, here it is, here it is, here it is. Not because I was listening to what someone said or their interpretation of that scripture is because I was allowing scripture to interpret scripture. Absolutely. And that was this, it was, it was, it was a little devastating. Yeah. It's life changing. Yeah. It's definitely life changing. So notice as a, just as an example, I tried to model this as we went through every one of those, Mm -hmm. just as a model. If, if you go back and think, and you can listen to it later, all I did, I didn't, I mean, you. I know you sent me those verses a week or two ago. I never even looked at them, mm-hmm. right? But all I did was open those passages, and let me tell you what I did. I just read them. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I understand the context because of the books and stuff, and so because I study Scripture, because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. But the key is just to read the verses that come before and read the verses that come after. Yeah. If people would just... If they're dealing with a passage and somebody asks them, if they would just open their Bible and literally go to the paragraph before and read it, and then read through the verse that they're being asked about, and then read another paragraph after, 95% of the time you will find your answer. You will see it. It'll be crystal clear. It is not a conundrum. It'll just be answered right there in the passage. The problem is you can't extrapolate one verse and read it and then and then think you're going to know it. But if you read it within the immediate context, the paragraph before, paragraph after, and read it as a flow, 95% of the time, it's right there. Mm-hmm. And that's how you do that. And all I did was model that for you, even mm-hmm. with the Habakkuk passage, mm-hmm. right? And so I just went to chapter one, we read it, we looked at it, chapter two, chapter three, and it's just like, there it is. Yeah. So that's what you do. That's called reading in context. Mm-hmm. That's, it's And it's... It it seems like it should be a lot more uh, difficult or uh, yeah. time consuming, but it's literally just if you if you have a question about it, yeah, read before and read after, yeah, and then and then a lot of times that won't always answer, so then you need to read the whole book or the whole. Uh, chapters, or better yet, you got to understand who is writing, where it's writing, and all mm-hmm. that. Which you need to know that anyway. If you don't mm-hmm. have that, you're not going to understand. But assuming that you understand the author and the setting and all of that, but you still got to read it in context. And, mm-hmm. and uh, but as you broaden that out, and then as I did, like with the passages in Proverbs and the other ones, and I was talking about the theocratic context, right, of Israel. That's broadening the context out to uh, not just the book itself or the letter itself, but also to the cultural context itself, the historical context of mm-hmm. Israel and so on and so forth. And that's what you do. Think of context as as uh, concentric circles that just keep going out. Right. And the first is the verse, mm-hmm. and then the paragraph, and then the paragraph around it, then the chapter, then the book, then the testament, then the whole Bible, and then even you, then you have the cultural context and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So. Yeah, that's good. So hopefully we have given you a lot to listen to uh, over uh, the times that we will be uh, dealing with the Corona context, dealing with the Corona, uh, coronavirus uh, context, which is a disaster. Yeah, this is uh, this hasn't been fun, but uh, I've learned a lot about uh, different things uh, here and there. 
pertaining to, you know, people as a culture, seeing how people have been panicking and, and it's, and it's kind of interesting to see that, but you know, I've as many times as you often can, I would encourage you to push them towards scripture and and Matt is going to give us one now. Here's a, here's a really good uh, principle in dealing with the coronavirus fear. Mm -hmm. Okay. How should we live in these times? We should be living in such a way that people can see hope in us Mm -hmm. because our hope is not found in this world Mm -hmm. and the things of this world, but it's found in the other world, i.e. Christ Mm -hmm. and heaven. And as we live for that other world, we're not shaken in this world. And guess what people will do? They will come and ask us for the hope that they see within us. That's exactly the context, beginning of context, 1 Peter 3 First Peter 3 is all about suffering. People are suffering. They're being persecuted. And people are watching the Christians be persecuted, and yet they remain hopeful. And eventually, because they're watching the way they suffered to the glory of God, they come and they ask, wait a minute, how can you suffer in joy when we're taking from you everything? Tell us how you still have hope. Mm-hmm. And the Christians say, I'm glad you asked. Mm-hmm. That's where that comes from when I say that right here. <laughs> Listen to what he says. And he says... Um, um, you said First Peter three. Yeah, he says uh, verse. I gotta put my glasses on again, man, buddy. You're killing me, hey, here, man. man. I, I didn't. I didn't do that. First Peter three fifteen. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So what's he saying? Live every day in holiness and godliness. That's essentially what he's saying. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Mm-hmm. Oh, that verse has great application for mm-hmm. us now. We should be living in honoring the Lord and holiness, and in so doing, we will serve as such an attractant to this fear-filled world as they're like, hey, well, buddy, why aren't, you, why aren't you scared to death? Why aren't you biting your nails? Why aren't you, you know, buying another... 10,000 rounds of ammo or whatever right and it's like because I trust the Lord yeah what do you mean let me tell you there you go that's a, that's a good end to this podcast yeah that's a good end thank you uh, so we'll be back uh, in the coming weeks uh, to go over a few things with you uh, please send in your questions uh, and you'll hear that at the end of the, the uh, podcast of where to send those questions to uh, but we are definitely uh, in the in in this to do this for you to help you out in your spiritual walk um this is also my counseling session as well so but i still allow you know people to ask questions as well so thank you all for tuning in and now here's the gospel of jesus christ this is the gospel of jesus christ the biblical gospel starts with god out of nothing god made everything including you and me to bring himself much pleasure his purpose for us as humanity was to love obey and enjoy him perfectly instead of this man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion since god is good and just he must punish sin that deserves eternal conscious punishment under god's wrath and hell but god being merciful loving and gracious had a plan to punish sin and so be a just judge and yet forgive sinners and so display mercy by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal son of God, to take on human flesh, 
fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God, standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this day be reconciled to God. Thank you for tuning in today. Please subscribe to the podcast and send in your questions to the truth talks podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the truth talks podcast and visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.